0: I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C.
1: You know who it is, Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports.
0: This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show.
1: All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, and my guest today is Dan Helly from the Dan Helly Pod. Dan, thanks for doing this with us. Yeah, Doug, great to be here, man. Yeah, we've been trying to sort this one out for a while. You've been going back and forth between your home in L.A., I guess, in Vegas, right? What have have you been doing out in Vegas?
0: Yeah, so they started a new show, the UFC did, uh, basically a weigh-in show for all their pay-per-views. And I've done some stuff with them in the past and uh, work on uh, kind of a summer series called the Contender Series, which is a really cool program. And uh, I've called some fights for them uh, in the past as well. They said, hey, would you be interested in doing this this weigh-in show? And they said we want it to be a little like uh, like Good Morning Football on NFL Network, kind of loose. And you're going to be the host. We're going to have Daniel Cormier on there with you, Laura Sanko, who I've worked with before, um, who's a fighter and an, a former fighter and an analyst now. Um, and we're just going to roll in all the big names, you know. And Aljamain Sterling was a guest analyst. Michael Chiesa, a guest analyst. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov was there last week. Um, uh, Stipe Miocic came in and uh, it played, uh, UFC EA sports against, uh, DC. And it was just amazing. So it's a really fun, cool show. Um, and it's about two hours during the weigh-ins and after the guys weigh in and do their stare downs and stuff, you know, they come and sit on set with us and we chop it up a little bit. Um, so I've been doing that and doing the podcast called some college basketball games, uh, before the tournament started. And, uh, you know, the off season for me is just a, it's a potpourri of things it's a little bit of everything so it gives me a chance once football's over to kind of delve into some other stuff which has been really cool
1: we'll get into football for sure on fridays dan we do the birthday game so you'll have to uh who's usually good at it so you might got a chance today since he's not here it is uh it celine dion has a birthday this week how old do you think celine dion is
0: oh wow celine dion is 50 nine years old
1: 53 for swing. 53
0: okay all right all right
1: uh eddie murphy's got a birthday this week
0: oh eddie murphy um eddie murphy is 62
1: 59 for eddie 59 all right and last one alec baldwin's got a birthday this week Alec baldwin
0: uh, Alec Baldwin, 60. 62.
1: Ah, 62.
0: So close. So close. So, Dan,
1: I love hearing these because I don't know that everybody knows, but the life of a young journalist uh, broadcaster keeps you on the move, doesn't it? And so I'm curious, kind of, where you got going. I thought that you were from the DMV originally. Uh, that's not the case, right? But you, no, I am. Kind of, but you did kind
0: of cut your teeth there. No, I, I, I grew up in Gaithersburg. Um, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so, so it, I mean, it's kind of a long, windy road, but um, my parents were in the Peace Corps. I was born in the Philippines. Uh, they moved back to the States after a stint in Honduras where my little brother was born. We moved to Idaho, and my dad got a job there. My mom was a school teacher, And then in fourth grade, we moved back to the D.C. area. Uh, okay. We moved in with my grandparents, uh, for a year in Bethesda while the, our house was being built in Gaithersburg. And then we moved to Gaithersburg and I went to Redland Middle School and then Magruder High School in Rockville. And, okay. uh, and then I went on to University of Tennessee and, um, and then just kind of moved around. I, I bounced around from market to market. It's really like minor league baseball. You know, back in the day, you didn't have all these online places where you could start your gig. Now you could graduate from University of Maryland and never leave the DMV and kind of climb the ranks of television that way, you know, starting digital and then maybe getting in a, uh, a job somewhere else. Like you could even, there have little stations in Winchester, Virginia or places like that, or you could go to Charlottesville, you know, and obviously that's out of the DC metro area, but you don't have to go far and then kind of come back and jump into the big market. For me, I had to go to Alexandria, Minnesota, which wasn't even an actual television market. There, There's 211 television markets in the country, and they're ranked on size. New York being the biggest, Glendive, Montana being the smallest with a population of like 5,000. And so Alexandria was so small that it wasn't even its own market. It was a little satellite station for Minneapolis. And we had a five-person newsroom. I was making $18,000, and I was what's called a one-man band where- I was my own cameraman. I was my own producer. I would drive three hours to a story. I would shoot it. I would put the camera on a tripod. I would run around or press a record button. I'd stand in front and record a stand up and hope that I, when I came back to look at it, that my head wasn't cut off. And then I'd have to tape it again because it wasn't framed up right. So that's where I started. And that job was my first on-air TV job. And I actually got that after a stint in in college in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I was a cameraman for the local ABC station, because I knew that I was going to have to do all that other stuff down the road. So I did the cameraman job for four or five months, went to Minnesota, and then I got to go back to the South and cover SEC football again. I got a job in the, the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina market. It was Florence, Myrtle Beach. It sounds better than it really is because I had to live in Florence. As opposed to Myrtle Beach, right. and uh, but we covered Clemson in South Carolina. I learned about NASCAR, which I knew nothing about. That was kind of the big league sport there. They had a NASCAR track there, Darlington. Um, yeah. The track yep. too tough to tame was the nickname. So you live in the Carolinas now, so you know all about that.
1: Yeah, we're just we're just up the road, a couple of hours from Myrtle Beach.
0: Okay, okay. yeah. So uh, I'm 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 rambling now, but from there I went to West Palm Beach for three years. I went to Orlando for three years in Orlando was the first job where I felt like I was actually making a decent salary, you know, where I wasn't at that point, I was still pretty young. Um, but I wasn't embarrassed to talk to my buddies who were, you know, working for accounting firms and stuff. And, you know, we're chopping up over a beer and I wasn't embarrassed to actually talk about, yeah, you know, like this is what I'm making now. And, um, and then, uh, I was in Orlando for about three and a half years and I, I got word that there could be an opening in D.C., and that was my dream job. Coming back, working for George Michael, I I mean, it, it couldn't have been scripted any better. And I ended up meeting with George three separate times, once at the Daytona 500, once at the Super Bowl, and once at the Final Four when George Mason made their run which okay. I think was, uh, was, must've been 05, 0405 ish that area. Oh, and finally on the third time, you know, he, he offered me the job and I came up and joined that team with George Lindsay Zarniak was already there and learned so much from him in the short time that we worked together because he was only the sports machine, I think, kind of folded after a year, year and a half of me being there. And then George semi-retired, he still did the Redskin shows and uh full court press, his basketball show. And then, um, and then Lindsay and I, uh, it was the two of us and uh, we hired Hakeem Dermish and then they, Lindsay left and it was Hakeem and I, and we hired Diana Rossini and then I left and Diana left and Hakeem left. It's been, it was quite a run, you know, George George picked some good people, you know, uh, Hakeem, Diana, and Lindsay all went to ESPN and then I moved out here to LA to work for NFL Network. Um, and so it was, a, it was a really, it was a great shop there. A lot of great producers, great people we worked with.
1: And of course, that's just a couple of the names. It's quite incredible the amount of people that came out of that market that went on to do big things. I'm curious what you think contributed to that. I mean, I know DC is a big market, but I mean, a lot of, of big time sportscasters came out of that area.
0: Yeah, a ton of people went to ESPN. You know, Bram Weinstein had a nice stint up there before he came back. And he, of course, is calling the Washington football team games uh, on radio now. Um, Britt McHenry went up there, uh, Sarah Walsh, who's a good friend, you know, went to ESPN and is now doing with Fox. Um, yeah,
1: don't. I don't Trending. know,
0: yeah, I don't know, Doug. That's a good question. I don't know why DC is opposed to say Philly, you know, Philly has a lot of good sports casters. Um, but it was a good run. We had, a, you know, when I got to DC, it was George Michael. It was Tim Brandt. It was, uh, Brett Haber and Dave Feldman you know, all at one point national guys who had been at ESPN and brand of course been calling games for years for Jefferson pilot and CBS. And, um, it's just, a listen, it's home for me and it always will be. That's where I, I grew up. That's my hometown. You know, I'm always representing, uh, yeah. I was actually wearing uh, an old Redskin shirt today and got stopped walking on a, uh, along the beach here by somebody who was from Chantilly and a, and a, uh, grew up as a Redskins fan. So, um, it's just, it's a good, it's a good market to be in. It's great to cover, you know, and by the way, now we have, now we have championship teams. I wasn't lucky I, enough to be there during the championship runs, yeah. uh, during the Stanley cup run for the caps. And uh, of course the world series went for the Nats. I missed out on those a little bit.
1: Were you surprised that they uh, ended up changing
0: the name? Um, Given the climate that, that we were in, At the moment, I I wasn't really surprised, no. And um, I think that, uh, you know, despite the fact that Dan Snyder had said over the years, you know, over his dead body famously or infamously that he would not change the name, money talks. And, uh, you know, when you start feeling the heat from your major sponsors um, and you combine that with the climate that we were in at that time, um, no, I wasn't. I do wish that, you know, there were two names that I really liked um, at at the time. Um, one was if you're just going to keep it really generic and plain, I liked Washington FC as in Washington football club, like all the European soccer teams. I thought that would be really cool. Instead they went Washington football team. I thought FC had a better ring to it. Um, and then the other one that I'd been hearing for years was a possibility was Warriors. Right. Um, and I'll be curious to see where they go, you know, how this ends up.
1: Um, I've been told
0: repeatedly that
1: Warriors, doesn't get the job done with the Native American folk.
0: I can understand I can understand that it, to it? a certain extent. You know, what's interesting, though, you know, the, the Washington paid for, um, they made a lot of visits to uh, Native American yep. reservations and yep. were trying to have goodwill and go out and, you know, improve the areas. And, um, and then the Washington Post did a study uh, a poll and they pulled a lot of native americans and it was 92 percent of them i think was the number i may be off by a percent or two really didn't care and it didn't bother them. and um my whole opinion is if it bothers them then we should change it right and i was i'm i'm a dc native and i was fine with the name of the time if everybody was okay with it you know um but if they didn't like it, then we should, we should change it. You know, and I, Doc Walker and I've had this conversation many a times about, you know, Redskins and um, how he had a conversation with a native American many years ago. And um, he, he, they didn't like it. Well, I had a conversation. It's funny, Mike, someone's in Arizona with two native Americans. We stayed at this uh, hotel, which was very close to a reservation and they were wearing a Redskins hat. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I so I asked them, and they couldn't have cared less. It didn't bother them in the slightest. As a matter of fact, they were wearing, like I said, they were wearing the hat. So, um, so I don't know. I I don't know what the right or the wrong answer is. I think we're we're headed down the right path now, and I hope they just find a name that everybody likes. You know? Um, Yeah.
1: Well, that you know that's you know that's not going to happen.
0: Well, it's going to be impossible to find one everybody likes. But you know, I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't love the Nationals as a nickname when when we started with it. I thought I right. could have found yeah. one that was better, but yeah. I like it now. Um, yeah. Caps is great. Um, I'll be, yeah, I'll be curious to see where that, where it ends up, you know, whether it's, whether it's red tails or I understand what you're saying about warriors, because you want to get completely away from the native American connotation. Um, yeah. Which
1: yeah, the, and seen. Red Red Wolves, I guess, is the one I always see on Twitter that people get excited about. I don't know that I'm all that excited about that either. I I've always said if they win eight or nine games next year, they'll stick with Washington football team, you know, because by two years they've done a good job with just everybody's used to saying it. Now I wish they'd get the the national guys to call them Washington, you know, rather than the team or something like well, that. Well, you know what you know what like happens. Team, you, know,
0: you you know what happens is. um, I did a Washington game this year and I only messed up once. Uh, It was, it was Alex Smith's first start. They were playing Detroit and I called them the Redskins just as they were going into the locker room before halftime. And I, it was going to, I knew it was going to be really difficult for me growing up saying Redskins constantly and skins this and skins that. Um, But what happens is you talk yourself, especially when you're doing a game, when you say the right Cause you're, you could say the chargers, the Rams, yeah. the Redskins. And as soon That's as you that. say the, you either That's have to that. say Washington football team, you can't say just Washington or the football team. So you right. get caught sometimes. And I saw it, you know, Al Michaels, one of the best in the business got caught a couple of times because he's been doing it way longer than I have. Um, right. and it just, it just happens, right? It happened. Yeah. How many times did we see it happen with the chargers? Right, I'm here in L.A., and people still call them the San Diego Chargers. I I saw it this past season. They've been here for a couple of years now.
1: Right. yeah, That's interesting. What uh, what do you think the national perspective is on Washington football team now after one year with Ron Rivera?
0: Well, I I think that the respect for the organization and the product they're putting on the field after what he did last year with, um, you know, a quarterback basically playing on one leg and uh, all the stuff that he had to go through with the name change and the ownership controversy. And, you you know, he came in there to coach football and yes, he is the direct report and he's kind of the overseeing person of the organization, you know, that reports directly to Dan Snyder, everybody else reports to Ron. Um, But I, I think there, that defense cause kind of put them on the map again and they made some nice offseason moves. You know, they had the fifth most money to spend in free agency and they go out there and they sign Curtis Samuel, which I think is a very versatile talented piece that they're going to be able to use. And they don't have to put him in the slot all the time now because they have Adam Humphreys as well. I think William Jackson, uh, listen, he's getting paid like a top 10 corner. I don't believe he's a top 10 corner, but, um, you know, he might be a top 20 guy. That's kind of wh- where he is. And, um, you, you you put him you know across from Kendall Fuller and that's a nice duo back there. I'd like to see him upgrade the linebacking core a little bit. Um, I think there's plenty of room to, to upgrade certainly uh, on both sides of the ball, but you can do that in the draft. This is, to me, this is a team now that has to be favored to win the division again. So I, I think nationally, um, people look at that division as being one of the weaker divisions in football overall, but Washington being a top That division now,
1: just like clockwork, we started to get all these stories and and about Justin Fields, who, by all accounts, the Washington is high on. Um, Is this just par for the course of where we're at this time of year, or are are those stories true?
0: Um, You know, I, I think when somebody talks about that on television, there's there's some truth to it in their mind, but the hard thing to decipher when you're reporting nationally and you're talking to so many different people from so many different organizations is what their agenda is, because there are teams that feed false information, hoping that you will take that to air or take that to print. So somebody does fall to them. And I don't know if that's true with, with Justin Fields or not. I I really don't. Um, I know that we're going to see Justin Fields and three other guys go in the first seven or eight picks of the draft. And you, you're probably going to see five quarterbacks in the, in the top 10. I mean, it's going to be bananas how quickly these guys fly off the shelves. And I don't think there's going to be one of those top five guys there for Washington. I just don't. Yep. Um, people are thirsty to get a young quarterback. And what they forget is that out of those, let's say, five guys go in the top 15. Let's just say five guys go in the first round. What does history tell us? History tells us that 50% of those guys are going to be complete and utter flops. So you're going to have two, maybe three, if you're lucky, you're going to have one star. It's probably going to be Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have one solid starter. You're going to have another guy that's, you know, around for five or six years. And then you're going to have two guys that are going to be like Josh Rosen. That's what you're going to have. So you better be damn sure. Like if I'm the Jets at two, if I'm going to go draft Zach Wilson, I better be sure he's the guy because I'm not sure Zach Wilson is that much better than Sam Darnold. I think they're kind of the same yeah. guy. I and Sam Darnold's is. even a little bigger, but you don't really know what you have there, right? I mean, I think Zach's a little flashier, but I, know, I'm
1: not sold. told us back in like November that he liked the kid from BYU better than all of them, including Lawrence. It's interesting where people are at on this quarterback class. Um, I heard you and I think Tim Murray, maybe the other day, uh, and you were talking about Fitzpatrick and you're right. People don't realize how good he's been the last three years, like really successful in the league statistically. Yeah. And I mean, it should be a really good bump and certainly aggressiveness for this team.
0: Well, I will tell you one thing that I was surprised by. Um, that Ron said that they're going to have competition for the starting quarterback job. In my mind, I just, just, he's your starting quarterback right now. You're paying him 10 million bucks. Uh, you got two other young guys on the roster who have not proven themselves as starting quarterbacks by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, Kyle Allen started half a season for Carolina. He had four great games. I called one of his games against Arizona where he was fantastic. It was his best game a pro. And then the longer he played kind of the worse he got. Now that doesn't mean he can't be a solid NFL starting quarterback at at one point, but in my mind, Fitz has been around a long time, right? Like he's your starting quarterback. Now let him mentor these other guys. If he gets hurt or you feel like you need to make a change, then you can do that. Um, I just don't, I don't know that it behooves anybody to have a competition for that spot right now. I mean, is that really why you brought him in for competition?
1: No, no. You know, you know what that is because he said halfway through or at the end of the season that his one big regret from last season was not having an actual quarterback competition. So, so I guess in that regard, it's hard for him to start this season by saying, "Hey, we're not going to have a quarterback competition again." But to your point, they didn't pay Fitzpatrick ten million dollars to not either. Not that it's starting quarterback money necessarily, but still, it's it's significant. And, and I'm with you. There's no way he doesn't start this, start this thing.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, last year they actually said they had a quarterback competition, but he kind of admitted after the fact that, listen, you know, we were going to start Dwayne. Um, so I don't know. You know, Listen, who am I to second guess what Ron Rivera is doing after one year, you know, he wins a division. Like I said, basically with his, a guy he never expected to see the field. Like it's nothing short of a miracle. It's, it's amazing. And you know, as a as a Washington fan, I was hoping, um, you know, ten games into the season or eight games into the season, that they would just lose out so they could they could have a top five pick and get one of these guys because you knew it was going to be a quarterback heavy draft. Well, it didn't work out that way, so now they have to go to Plan B, and and Fitz is Plan B, and hopefully it works out well.
1: I think it will. You've got the uh, the Nats hat on there. I'm assuming you're excited. We'll have to wait a weekend though.
0: Yeah, that's a bummer that the, the opening series was, was postponed because of COVID. Um, I guess it's the Braves on uh, Monday, hopefully, is kind of where they hope they're going to start um, getting things going. But um, And I, I believe Scherzer is still slated to start that game. But um, listen, what, a, what an amazing run for those guys during the World Series. I was lucky enough to uh, – my friends at NBC4 called me up and asked if I could help with the coverage when they were out here in L.A. playing uh, the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs in the Divisional Series. And I, I did a couple of shows for him. And then in the clinching game, I was actually sitting uh, with a friend of mine in his uh, uh, suite with a bunch of Dodgers fans. And it was m- me and one other Nats fan that were like silently cheering the whole entire game, you know, rooting with each other. And then after the game, I was lucky enough to be able to go down in the locker room and just watch the celebration and the champagne shower. Uh, I actually have another Nats hat that's still soaked in champagne that I haven't washed yet from that time. And my son was there as well. So it was a really cool moment to be there and get a witness firsthand, uh, just part of that tremendous world series run. And then last season, you know, I did some Dodgers shows out here uh, when they won the world. Series. I mean, 60 games, right. The Dodgers were the best team in baseball. They're the best team in baseball. Again, Uh, the Nats are going to have a tough road to hoe, but I think if there was a season to cut like a throwaway season, like last year was it. So let's just get that out of there. Let's try to get back into contention again and, and get things going.
1: For, the, uh, for like the shows that you do out in Vegas, let's say, are more people gearing up that if enough people get the COVID shots? I mean, I've seen this kind of with the NFL, right? The more people that do that, the, the more people you can have on site. Is that stuff that you guys are doing through UFC? Do they have something like that? NFL network, are they planning on getting more people back into studios uh, once more people are getting tests or uh, vaccines rather?
0: Yeah, no, I I think uh, from an NFL network standpoint, you know, everybody's been working, not everybody, but most people have been working from home um, and they even do kind of separate cameras. Uh, They do one show in studio basically in in LA and they do one show in New York. That's good morning football. Um, Yeah. So I think more people are going to get back in studio as they get the vaccines uh, from a UFC standpoint, um, I don't know, you know, I've been vaccinated. I, I think most of the others that I work with have, uh, but the way it works for the UFC, for instance, is we will fly in, um, a couple of people live in Vegas, but most of the people, Daniel Cormier lives in the Bay Area, Laura's in Kansas City, and I'm coming from LA, um, will fly in, we'll get tested as soon as we get to the facility, and then we basically quarantine that night. They don't, they don't really want us going anywhere. So we stay at the hotel, we order food to the room to be delivered. And then um, we get, we get a rapid test then we get another test in the morning and we get the results back. If somebody tests positive, then they go with a backup plan. You know, I have a, the shows that I'm doing, they have another guy that lives in Vegas who I'm sure would be able to come in and fill in. And we have enough people on the show generally that if one is missing um, we can, we can carry on without them.
1: You've had the opportunity to do a whole lot of cool things. I noticed you filling in for Dan Patrick the other day. That had to have been pretty cool.
0: Oh, for Rich Eisen. Yeah. Yeah. Rich Eisen show. He comes on right after Dan Patrick. No, same thing. Um, yeah, it was great, man. It was really fun to do during the tournament. Um, because we got to talk to uh, all the different coaches and talk little college hoops, which I didn't, don't get to do a lot. Um, he has a really great crew, i do a, a fantasy football show for Directv on sundays when i'm not calling games and it's in the same studio which is about 10 minutes from my house um so i filled in for rich uh a couple of times over the years so um yeah that was a fun little run so i i did that for a few days and then headed to vegas to do the uh, the weigh-in show a couple of days later so that was a that was a fun week last week
1: and one last one before we let's get out of here and appreciate it today the helipot is put on by blue wire how many people does it take to uh, put the the heli pod together?
0: Well, I have, it depends on if I'm doing the video. The first, I don't know, I would say in prior to football season, I started about a year ago. um, I had a really talented cameraman and editor who would go with me and like the one you saw in Sean McVay's backyard and um, a lot of these other ones, uh, he would shoot and edit and put it together and we put it up on YouTube he luckily for him got a, got a real job uh, and is doing a bunch of stuff for ESPN now. Um, so I, I have a guy who helps me edit and we shoot some of them, but we don't shoot all of them. Some of them are audio only. And a lot of them will just do like this. We'll do on zoom. Um, so yes. it's usually me and one or two other people. And then I have a graphics guy that helps out as well. But, you know, I, I, I come up with the content and book the guests and do the interviews myself. and. Uh, I've been lucky enough so far just to be able to kind of, you know, scroll through my phone and, you know, beg, borrow and steal and see if my friends will give me an hour to come on and, and, and do the interview and everybody's so gracious and um, it's been a lot of fun to do especially, you know, the first couple of months of COVID when there wasn't a wasn't a lot going on, um, you know, I actually, last May, I think it was was the first time I was on a plane during COVID and I went down to Florida Uh, And I did like a a little podcast tour. I got Warren Sapp and Brady Quinn. And then I went up to to Tennessee and sat down with Mike Vrabel, head coach of the Titans. And we've had a lot of fun guests, man. You know, it's um, Reggie Bush and LaDainian Tomlinson. I went to Kurt Warner's house. And the whole idea of the pod initially was to be an interview-driven pod. And I wanted to focus a lot on their origin, how they got started and their rookie year and what that was about. And for so many of them, they've got into things that are far more interesting than sports after they stopped playing. So we talk a little bit about that as well. And then once football season started, I wanted a more kind of news of the day. Let's preview games. Let's talk about what happened. So I got MJD, Maurice Jones-Drew you know, former uh, rushing leader in the NFL to come in and do a weekly pod with me. And he's been so awesome with his time and uh, a good friend. And so now we'll do one or two with him a month and then we'll sprinkle in some of the interviews as well. So it's been awesome.
1: Um, when, when's the next pod and who you got coming up?
0: Uh, we have Steve Mariucci uh, coming up, uh, probably going to drop it on Sunday. I've recorded it. We, we did it yesterday. Uh, so Sunday or Monday. And you know, Mooch is a great. Mooch is an unbelievable story. First of all, he grew up best friends with Tom Izzo, the Michigan State college basketball coach. I've, uh, I worked with Mooch for a long time in the NFL Network. We called games in the short-lived AAF, the Alliance of American Football. Um, and he uh, he was actually up to be the Washington Redskins at the time head coach after Joe Gibbs retired the second time.
1: The second and time.
0: Snyder really liked him, but ended up that that he didn't want to move his family out from California. He had moved 18 times. He'd moved his wife 18 times over the course of his career. and he was fired from Detroit a couple of years earlier. He made a bunch of money, so money wasn't really, you know an issue. and he was doing TV stuff. but Snyder, they really hit it off and he was gonna hire him, it looked like and, uh, he said he basically tapped out, you know, because he said, I'm, I, I can't move my family again. And Snyder kind of wanted him to be all in and relocate there. And um, I and didn't know that. And instead we got Zorn, is that right? And said we, instead it was Jim Zorn. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it was a little, little different scenario.
1: Dan, appreciate you so much for giving us some time today. I could have done this all day.
0: Yeah, man, Doug. Thanks, buddy. Hey, good luck with everything. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, brother. Take care.
1: Thank you.